change is the only constant. So why is it so hard? On Nothing Constant from Root, we explore why people and businesses are so resistant to change and discover the secrets on how to make change easier, faster, and lasting. And now, Nothing Constant. So welcome, Bridget. Hi, my friend, Gary. I got called my friend. My good buddy. I got called friend this week. I guilted you, didn't I? You did, it's yes. The Italian Jewish guilt. Called your friend last week. I didn't uh -huh. hear it back. Gotta tell you, lost a lot of okay. sleep. Well, I'm Irish, German, Catholic, so your Jewish, Italian guilt really doesn't work that much All on right. me, but I, I want to make you happy. I want you to have a good employee experience here at Root. And if that means you need to feel like we have a social connection of some kind, I'm all for it. I appreciate that because okay. I think employee experience is what we're going to talk about today. It is. Um, so we're we're at peak employment in well, the United States. I think right we should now. tell people that they're they've joined the podcast now. Uh, by the way, you're you're listening to Nothing Constant, our podcast about change. This is our fourth episode. And uh, it took me four tries to realize what Gary wants in his introduction, which is to call him my friend. You know, forget forget brilliant, forget visionary, forget, you know, go-getter, all that stuff. He just wants to be my friend. That's right. So hi, That's Gary. Most important to me. Thank you, Queen Bee, Bridget. Thanks for another episode. Looking forward to talking to you about employee experience and being your friend is the height of mine. So <laughs> let's do it. I'm blushing. So, um... In the United States today, of, out of every 100 people who want to work, more than 96 of them have jobs. I don't know if that's how that's possible, like a quarter of a person has a job, but you know, statistics. Um, this is what economists call full employment. And the global picture uh, is pretty hot as well. A uh, new report finds that the world's unemployment rate has dropped 5% in the last year, the lowest level since the global economic crisis in 2008. And even in the Eurozone, where things are like a little uneven, things are, are looking pretty rosy there in terms of jobs. Um, and that all means that talent is at a premium. Um, everybody wants those skilled laborers, um, that, uh, that highly talented workforce. And um, they're working hard to keep them and develop the workers that they have. So um, we're definitely seeing an emphasis on employee experience and employer brands as a piece of this. Would you agree? For sure. I mean, the name of the game is attract and retain. And I think we're looking at this multiple, genera multiple generations in the workforce who all want something similar. They want to work for companies that have real purpose. They want to build skills, whether they're a millennial or a baby boomer. Um, they want to understand how their work and contribution ladders up to the big picture of success. So yes, I do agree. So we're definitely seeing a, um, a trend towards being purpose-driven and um, more empowerment in the workforce. But there's some other things that uh, employers are doing to attract and retain and Gary I want to talk a little bit about some of those things and and let's let's talk about it um, in our segment awesome or awful and uh, and maybe we could add a, a, a third category in there which is just sham sham define <laughs> define sham for me like this is not really what this is about oh, that it's not really about employee is percentage. sham the same as bullshit yes okay good mm -hmm. so awesome awful bullshit got okay. it okay all right, here we go. Number one, remote working. 
So 70% of workers globally report working remotely at least one day a week. Is this awesome? Is this awful? I am so hypocritical on this. I'm going to say awful for full-time remote. I'm sure one day a week is good for everybody. And why I'm hypocritical is because half the year I work remotely. And I will just tell you my employee experience, my, from where I stand, my employee experience plummets. I mean, I don't want to hang out with me all day. And the learning curve, don't agree so readily, the learning curve goes way down. So um, I think that there's such a value in being together in group. Does it have to be full time? No. So awesome that people will have flexibility and could spend a day or two a week at home. Awful if it becomes, hey, there's no central point of community anymore. Yeah. So studies have shown that telecommuting can increase productivity and efficiency and even boost morale. And then obviously it decreases some of those overhead costs. But at the same time, remote employees that I've interviewed in my research have talked about how it's isolating. Very. And it can be really difficult to make those connections. And the organization really needs to be set up for a remote workforce. And I do think that sometimes it can be really uneven, right? Like I, I think about just at root, the days that everybody works from home, I feel like it works better than the days where you're the one person who's not there, right? Because you, you're not you're not getting those little pieces. So that's interesting. I need to hear awesome or awful from you first, and then I've got that's interesting mm -hmm. about everybody or nobody. All right. So I think it is generally for the employer, I feel like it's an awesome trend for a couple of reasons. One, I feel like you are giving people the flexibility they want in their job. You are increasing productivity in ways because they're not dealing with like exhausting commutes and things like that and, and the morale of being able to like duck out to the soccer game and mm -hmm. come back, that type of thing. I think it's awesome from a cost perspective in terms of decreasing the overhead. I think it's awesome in terms of talent attraction because when you have the capability to service an employee population who works remotely, you are now no longer just attracting people within a 30 mile radius of your For office. Sure you're able to source the best of the best. You know, I have a friend who lives here in Chicago and works for a company in Seattle. You know, they would not have been able to find her any other way. Um, so I think in that way, it's, it's awesome. I think that what's awful is when we say nothing about the way we work has to change in order to make remote working as productive as we all say that it is. So already in the moment you're shifting me and if the company is set up well <laughs> you are winning me over if the company is set up for it it's great and it could i was in a technology firm in uh the boston area a couple of years ago and they were a smaller company but people were starting to work remote and each one of them had their own mobile robots with an ipad attached to it so that Nobody had to set up anything. They could wheel their robot. So if somebody's in California and they're having in a meeting in the Boston office, they could maneuver their robot into the meeting, turn on their own screen, and be at a place on the table as if they were there. And then if they wanted to go see Susie over in logistics, they could wheel themselves over to Susie's desk and right. So you're giving me a face like it's a little weird, right? But it's yeah. that physical presence in the office that I thought was really, really cool about that. So if you're set up well for that, where you can navigate it, it's great. What gets frustrating is when I'm remote, I may get in our own company, 
a dozen voicemails or mm-hmm. unanswered emails because I can't just go find that person in the kitchen yeah. and ask him that quick question. And now I've lost too much time over something that should be quick. Yeah, I think there's also a challenge for managers in that there is a benefit to being able to look somebody in the eye and see, are they okay? Are they engaged? Do they understand? Are they feeling overwhelmed? And it's really easy to hide that when you're at home or just just not be able just not notice it when you're you know just over the, over phone calls. So I think you need to be really set up well from a management perspective to ensure that remote employees are engaged. So you must have been reading my book The Unbossy Boss Bridget because of course I've devoted a chapter specifically to that topic. So I'm sure you're referencing that right here where as a remote manager right. your ability to understand tone in somebody's voice or maybe the outreach of FaceTime or Skype to see someone's facial expressions um, is really important because you're not there in person. And oftentimes, how many times have you just said to somebody, everything okay with you today? Yeah. Without any words. And managing remotely uh, is a barrier to that. But of course, the unbossy boss covers that in a whole chapter. Thanks for bringing it up. Well, you're welcome. I'll get the five cents from that royalty check. Let's talk about one of my favorite employee experience topics, open plan workspaces. So uh, nobody can see this, but my air quotes, the collaboration benefits mm-hmm. of an open plan is really what uh, is, is sort of the value proposition that's given on, on this stuff. And I think something that was really interesting that I was reading the other day was that I was reading the history of the open plan and how it, you know, it's of course it started in like Silicon Valley. There are lots of people who rejected that. So um, Steve Jobs rejected the open plan at Pixar and, and created a different model and, and things like that. But ultimately, a professor at Georgetown who studies the way people work, I think put it best. It said, when, when you dig down, it's because that workplace looks like a couple of highly successful tech companies. And so we're all just trying to imitate that and bottle that magic in a, in a floor plan. But I think what a lot of studies that have come out in the last six months or show have shown is that the open plans don't actually improve productivity, don't actually improve collaboration. It's more of just a signal that the company is interesting and innovative. So this is all interesting. I don't have the exact... So just so you know, I think, I think it's awful. I, th- I think it's a sham. I'm calling bullshit on, on open plans. That the open plan is bullshit or that the data that you have is bullshit? The open bullshit? plan is bullshit. Oh my goodness. I think it is two thumbs up, awesome. Siskel and Ebert agree it's the best thing ever. And I see your Silicon Valley current history stuff, but if you really go back in time, it is M&M or Mars in New Jersey, open floor plan dating back to the 50s, and it still is today, where the CEO realized that if they could stand up and see everybody and be seen, they could demonstrate the behaviors that they wanted everybody else to do, that they could be in the conversations that were- Was it about supervision or was it about modeling behaviors? So it's a really good question. Survey, I should say surveillance. The way it is talked about today is about learning from one another, modeling and demonstrating behaviors, collaboration, and it started, you know, 60, 70 years ago there. And so I've been to those offices and today they're still, and they're low profile open. So, and it's always been low profile open, just desks. 
I grew up in a family um, manufacturing business. It was also all open. Uh, so I, I literally grew up in that environment, mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. It depends how you learn. And so I think awesome, as I said, and then I think it's very individual. How do you learn? What is your work style? Some people need absolute quiet alone in a dark basement with the lights off and a green screen and they're good to go. I am, um, a, I'm one of those people who needs a highly stimulating environment. One person talking in one air, sending an email and answering the phone at the, at the same time is the way I like to operate. So I would just say it's got to be very individualistic. And in an open environment, what you find is a lot of these phone booths or these nooks and crannies that you can go to and get away. So I like the open environment for that community feel. Go hide if you need to. Now, do we all show up? at the same time in this open environment or go away. Last Friday, I came into the office and I'm the only one here, mm -hmm. the only one here for a long time. Then two other people showed up. Then when I decided that I was gonna leave a little bit earlier, I had come in at seven in the morning and others had come in maybe 9.30ish. And um, then when I was gonna leave at two, I had this sense of, or three, this sense of guilt like, oh wow, there's only two people here if I leave and am I obligated to stay because it's so visible that you're leaving in the middle of the day with these other people. So I had this sort of like, I don't know, you know, if I leave now they're down to two, I'm letting people down. So you have open environment and are we all coming or going sort of coming in together because it's very visible to others in an open environment if you're here or not. So I think that the phone booth thing is an interesting thing. Because it is, it's what happens. Like, you have all of these open desks. Like, I walk through some of our clients, and it's like nobody works there. And it turns out they're all in rooms, or they're waiting outside of a room going, it's my turn for this room. Yes. So is that really, have you now driven an experience where, one, people are the most productive that they can be because they they're, have to stand outside of a room for five minutes in order to get it? And are they as collaborative as they need to be because... They don't, um, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not advocating for everyone to have an office with a door. I don't think that that is what it ought to be. But I think that some walls aren't necessarily a bad thing for some jobs. Now, I have only ever worked in open environments. I don't mind it at all. I can tune people out. Yes. Um, I'm really good yes. at that. Preach. <laughs> I can attest. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And the only reasons why I ever work from home is because the schedule yeah. like makes commuting impossible yeah. unless I'm doing it at dawn. All right, so let me ask you this. You have some But I know that there are other people for whom that is terrible. Like studies have shown that there are people, there's a large majority of people who when their attention is drawn away from a task, it can take them up to 15 minutes to reconcentrate on that to task. Refocus. That's not efficient, right? That's not. But is it really about the efficiency or is it about the experience? Yeah, I'm more efficient, but people love to go to their offices. My future daughter-in-law is working for a company where she is hungry every day to get to the office because of the sense of community. They're running contests. There's a keg on Friday nights. There's all this. There, It is the new um, work is the new social in this specific case where people are starved to get there because like-minded people doing fun things together are what it's about and work is incorporated in it. So the work week is longer 
But I think it, you can do that and have a cubicle. Because oh what, here's Cub- what will happen. What we refer to as jail. Please continue. I'm interested. <laughs> I think what will what happens in a lot of these environments, and we'll talk about this later when we talk about like ping pong tables and crap like that, is that if everything in your office is a distraction, what ends up happening is they say, "Well, you guys don't get enough done, so we're we're bringing the hammer down, and now everyone's got to be here longer hours, and we've got to take away some of the fun stuff and." I actually, I think it's a little bit self-defeating. I think if you allow people an environment in which they can, they can concentrate, they can be productive in moments, and then there are spaces for them sure. to hang sure. I th- or, or relax or collaborate or whatever that is, I think there's got to be a mix. I, I don't think we should go back to the old time. The cube farm? Cube farm and, and offices, but I think everybody at one long communal table trying to get their work done so that they can make room for those other moments is not, I think that's, we're going to fail at that. All right, so how many new members of your team do you have in the last couple of months? What's new? In the last couple of months. Zero. Okay. <laughs> What's the time span, span that the new people came on for you? I had one come on a year ago and one come on, or 15 months ago and one come on about nine months ago. Perfect reason why I shouldn't work remotely for six months a year because I thought it was much shorter than that. Okay. So two people on your team are sitting across from me in an open environment where nobody has assigned desks. They're all hotel desks. They sit in those same seats every day that I see them in. They do. And I intrude their space the other day by sitting across. Now, they're lovely. When I say I intrude, I realize, oh, this is sort of assigned seating in a non-assigned seating workspace. That's pretty interesting. And then I saw the interaction between them all day and my heart was filled with joy. Filled, because one is saying to the other, well, when I do a report, it looks like this. And if you take this and you use it in that way, it helps the customer see it in a different perspective. And they had this unbelievable sharing moment, and it was based on things like overhearing or walking by and just seeing what you're working on and just being incredibly helpful to one another. That would never have happened if they were in a cube farm or in an office. And I know that the more junior of the two got a six-month training course in a day and a half just by being next to somebody who knew more. But I observe people in workplaces all the time, and I can tell you that even when there are walls between them, I see people doing that type of sharing constantly. I was just at a client working in the claims group, Mm -hmm. That's a group where, and they're actually moving to an open space, and they're terrified because they have to talk to people whose family is yeah, it's private. Experienced like a thing. huge loss, sure. and they're like, if somebody's like joking and laughing next to me, like, what am I gonna do, right. right? But they, the level of communication between those folks was was incredible. So incredible. Your hypothesis. And I think it's cultural. I think it's a team environment. I just was going there. I was going to say the culture word. We're in the same spot. Your hypothesis would be it depends on the culture. Yes. I can buy into that. And I think if you don't, I I think if you don't have a great culture, the the open workplace can just be a huge hindrance. Or the the right culture to match the physical environment. Mm -hmm. So the intangible matching the tangible. So that is, I'm starting to develop that thought as you're speaking here, is that, okay, well, it could certainly work if you have the right culture. 
you could have the best designed environment and the wrong culture and it's going to fail. So here's my question to you. Is it the space or is it the culture? It's the culture. The culture is going to make it and it's going to make the space work even when people complain about it. But if you have, I think what we're seeing is that all of these companies are moving to these open floor plans mm -hmm. and saying open floor plan begets innovation and collaboration. Yeah. And what they're seeing is actually the opposite happens because you don't have the norms, you don't have you, you, your whatever the nature of that work is, that actually creates a distraction well, or a hindrance versus so amplifies it. I fight that data by saying if you have a You can't fight data with your opinions, Gary. Wow. <laughs> that was good. Watch me. I only have opinions. I don't have data. That's your job. So love the tune, though. Jesus, my name, my name is now officially in a song, which is totally awesome. It's a song about how you can't, you can't argue with your. It's okay. Opinion. My name is still in the song. So here's what I would argue, based on nothing but you know emotion and uh, some passion. Is Can you that do it in a song, please? I can't do it in a song mm -hmm. right now. I'll try. But here, here's what you think. If you don't have a culture of collaboration, it doesn't matter if there's walls in between you yes. or not. Yes, you could be in a kumbaya circle and it would still And you don't have a culture of communicating hard. with each other. Yes. So could, couldn't you counter or argue that data by saying, if you think He's about the culture. He's literally pointing at the data. I'm pointing at the data. Um, <laughs> if you think about it, start with culture. What is the culture that you want and then design the workspace to promote or reinforce the culture. I would go one step further than that, and I would even say, what is the purpose of this organization? And can you design the workspace to fully complement that and fully complement the culture? So the real question is not whether an open concept or remote workers are right or wrong or awesome or awful. It's what is your purpose? What is the culture that will support that purpose? And what is the best work environment to support that culture? Boom. Bam. We are done. Solved Everyone, it. you're welcome. Solved it. Should we should we talk about quirky perks? Yes, love quirky perks. Love the quirky <laughs> perks. So when I talk about quirky perks, just, I'm just talking so you know, about the song for me was a quirky perk. <laughs> Downloading it on Apple now. Nick, our audio person, is vehemently agreeing with you. Yes. Can I just get can I get a clip of that? And a meme of Bridget. Could you do those for us, Nick? Love it. Continue. <laughs> you do you not know this about me that when I um, show tunes are my stress release? Are they really? They are. So if I am like in a in a place where I'm going to absolutely lose my mind about something, my team will tell you this. I will start like song talking everything and using jazz hands because it's a way for me to release that stress yeah. without yelling at people. So stay tuned to a future podcast <laughs> where Bridget and I have a show tune off. All right, awesome or awful? All right, quirky perks. Yes. We're talking ping pong tables, foosball tables, snacks, music rooms, game rooms. Ugh. Uh, we're oh. talking about... Donuts. Donuts yeah. on Taco Tuesdays. No. Ugh. Okay. So what, what do you think, Gary? Awesome or awful? What's your opinion? I can't tell by the mm. weird noises you're so, making. So, let's just talk about the ping pong table and the foosball table, etc. Sure. 
as I was talking about before, my future daughter-in-law is a company where people want to socialize and they stay longer and there's a sense of community. Sure, why not? And is that really the attract and retain? Am I staying in this dysfunctional company because you have a pool table and a donut? Probably not. I can go get my own donut. And if I really want to play foosball or ping pong that badly, I'll go to my friend's basement or one of these axe throwing places and hang out on a Friday night. I think they're great extras if your values and your culture are in place. But as an attract and retain, they do absolutely nothing. So silly perks all day long. Sure, why not? They're fun. I like a donut or four. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not going to keep me here. Yeah. I can buy my own damn donut. So I was... I was trying to find data to um, back up my opinion. Which is? Uh, that it's, it's bullshit. Bullshit. Um, so we agree it's bullshit. So this is, this is some data that I, I got that I thought was really interesting. Only 5% of engaged workers identified perks as a reason to stay in their job. Why so few? But if you look at the wording of that survey, you notice it's talking about engaged employees. For disengaged employees, however, the numbers start to flip. Disengaged employees report perks as a much more important reason for staying at their job. So a way to interpret that is basically to say the engaged stay for the work, for the purpose, and the disengaged stay for what they can get out of it. Of course. And that's always been the case throughout the, since the beginning, since fur trading, right. that has been the case. So I feel like the quirky perks is a little bit of the HR equivalent of pissing in the wind because... It's useless. I just wonder if quirky... <laughs> and and it's going to get, it's going to come back on you in, in kind of bad ways, I feel like. What's interesting about quirky perks, so I would consider, and interested in what you would consider, a quirky perk. So to me, beer on tap, quirky perk. I was offered mm-hmm. a job years and years ago before I started at Root at a company called The Sauce, and I came out of hospitality, and it was a hospitality recruiting company. And every day at 12 o'clock, they had band hour. So if you played an instrument or you sang, you would jam at it. And I mm-hmm. go, oh, this is so cool. I really wanted to do it. And I, I love the idea. And I ended up coming to Root and the sauce went out of business six months later. <laughs> so evidently they were spending too much, too much time at band time. But band is a quirky perk. Now, are those quirky perks really quirky or are they just what the latest trend in perks? Because years ago, if you went back, it was, we have a coffee maker, then it was free soda for everybody. And you think about the quirky perks, we're just up in the game of quirky perks. So who cares about free soda? Nobody wants to drink soda, but we've got craft beer lovers everywhere. So soda's been replaced by craft beer and the foosball table has, has, um, I don't know, taken the place of the cigarette machine in, in the workplace. So I feel like, because I was thinking about this, I I was thinking about the quirky perks that that Root has. Because we have a ping pong table. And it's used constantly. It's used constantly. Um, I was thinking about the quirky perks that I value. Which are? um, I value the Rudy's. It's a quirky perk, right? Rudy's is, for listeners, is our annual awards ceremony slash roast. Yes. And it is, it takes everybody offline for several hours feeds them, plies them with alcohol, gives them an outlet to do funny stuff. There's a lip sync battle that's part of it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of roasting that happens, a lot of roasting of you. Um, it's my favorite day of the year at Root. It's fantastic. Yes. And it is a quirky perk. It is unlike something you would find somewhere else. But when I think about why I value it, 
it is not just because it's like free drinks and appetizers and two hours off work or whatever. It's because it's so connected to who we are as a company. It's the culture. And it celebrates our values and celebrates our purpose. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the beer in Sylvania, I don't personally value that that much because I'm never in that office. But I understand that it is about, because it's not that they get a delivery of beer. It's that we have people who brew beer and bring it in and, and share that with their community. And so, and we just supply the kegerator essentially. So it's about their creativity and their Mm -hmm. sense of fun and they're Mm -hmm. bringing that and sharing it. So I feel like whenever your little perks, uh, Airbnb, everybody gets a $2,000 travel stipend because Airbnb believes in seeing people, seeing the world and bringing people together and making people a part of communities. That's a cool, unique perk. It's quirky. But it's so connected to who they are as an organization that it can't help but amplify that experience. So I would not classify that as a quirky perk. It's core to building a company of travelers because they're serving serving a world of travelers. So it's quirky because, boy, who would have ever thought of that just even five years ago? And now it's a standard somewhere. So I think if there's a delineation, one is what the delineation for me is, is it connected to the business or not yeah. in our purpose. So let's just talk about the keg in our um, corporate office in Sylvania, Ohio. I agree with you that when someone brings in one of their home-crafted beers and hooks it up to the kegerator, we are supporting creativity and even entrepreneurialism, which are things that we celebrate at root. And there is, while it may be a little bit of a stretch, a connection to who we are and what we do. I can't figure out the connection to the damn ping pong table. No. No connection. Other, other, but, than, other than our boss used to be a pro tennis player. Yeah, <laughs> yes. the only connection yes. I can see. Right. There's some paddles and a little <laughs> white ball and everybody's happy. But analogous to Airbnb, there is a connection. I can make a connection to the creativity that we celebrate and the kegerator as with travel at Airbnb. Mm-hmm. So what is the connection back to the business? And if there's a meaningful one, great. Yeah. We can call it quirky yeah. because it's unique or new, but it does have culture values um, tied into them but it's not some rando thing where Mm -hmm. we say oh bing bags will make us a great employee experience it's like no no, it won't you you guys write software there's nothing to do with bean bags now what i will say on a quirky perk related is that i do believe that we have people who are looking for a sense of community attendance in religious worship institutions is down don't have the data but it's down pretty that's true it is down pretty considerably and so if you look at that where is the new place to commune i think for a lot of people and i think it's cross-generation they look for do i have a best friend at work are these people i want to hang out with and we have companies who are trying to bring people together for social events to extend this from a work environment to either a family environment or a community. And they can be considered quirky perks. Mm-hmm. Like we're taking everybody bowling Friday night. Again, you can take yourself bowling. But I think it's going towards a bit of a higher cause of, of um, creating an environment or a community where people can flourish because they have a sense of belonging. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think about those things that are like beyond quirky perk and into pretty extensive perks. So things like Patagonia and Amazon and even you know other places have childcare mm-hmm. as part of 
their workplace. Others, they just have childcare on site, which I think is a perk even when you pay for it. Mm-hmm. There's Extensive. all kinds of other, you know, there's there's things like uh, dry cleaning services or laundry on site, like things like that. I, I don't Google necessarily, yeah, yeah like I don't necessarily see those as connected to their purpose, uh, but ah. I think they're huge stress relievers for ah. people in their lives. And those two things are connected. So dry cleaning, great. Every time I'm in a Google office, it I, I feel like it's, you know, like a, a buffet at a great hotel. And when you think about being connected to their purpose, those are all our and productivity extenders. Yeah. If my dinner is here and I can grab it, or my breakfast is here, I'll come in early, I'll stay late, I won't leave the building. And when people leave the building, all kinds of things happen. Negative things happen. (laughs) People get sidetracked in personal endeavors that aren't productive to the company. If I can keep you in this building by providing your dry cleaning or giving you some food or whatever those things are, your productivity is going to go up and you're going to help fulfill our purpose shorter, faster, better. I think that's why they're doing that. I absolutely think that's why they're doing it. I wonder about that from a long-term sustainability perspective. You know, if our if our jobs become like our entire community and, mm-hmm. and world, mm-hmm. what's the impact of that? What I didn't say before, but I'll say now, is for many, work is the new church. Right? It's and true, it's, yeah. So if work is the new church, um, what's the impact? Uh, I don't know. The, well, and... and we talked about this on a previous podcast, the, this whole sort of church of work thing actually makes a lot of people pretty miserable. We have a lot of white collar workers who feel a little lost. I think it depends where you're rooted. For some people who are disenfranchised, it could feel really good. Yeah. And I, uh, for some people who are well connected to their families or to an external sport or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. they may need it less. If what companies are doing well that I like to see is that they're providing that opportunity for those people who are disenfranchised to be a part of something bigger than themselves if they're not getting that outside of work. So it's interesting that we started going to this place of come to our business and never leave and and make this your community. Um, Interesting segue to um, our guest today, who is Joe Martin from Martin Creative. Uh, Joe actually has sort of the opposite approach to the employee experience. Um, Really interesting kind of technique that he developed and implemented within his organization um, that it's almost requires people to step away from the job and ensure that they spend plenty of time in the other aspects of their lives. So uh, let's listen a little bit to what Joe has to say. And Joe is awesome. All right, hi Joe Martin. (laughs) Hello. Morning. <laughs> I love that your website is hijomartin.com. It's fantastic. It's very easy to remember. I actually just like typed it in this morning versus try to find it in my history. Um, so Joe Martin, you are the CEO of Martin Creative, and you're also the founder of a professional networking group called the Entrepreneur's Workshop. Yep. And you have 3,000 members that you put monthly events on to promote new skills and create we, connections and all that do. stuff. We do. It's amazing. Um, in your spare time... You have like 19 million jobs, Um, a mentor and judge for Google Startup Weekend events. You work with students through DePaul University's Entrepreneur Program. I just found out you also have this like crazy food tour marketing business that you do. You teach master classes. You're a speaker. 
And the reason why you're here today is because you are the author of a soon-to-be-published book called Six Week Cycles. Yes. So welcome to Nothing Constant, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm so excited because this is our first in-studio interview. We usually do them over the phones. This, this is, is much really better. Fun. This is, yeah, much nicer. Welcome to Root. So tell us a little bit about the book and what inspired it. Sure. Uh, work for six weeks, take off for two weeks. Just real simple. And that two weeks off doesn't necessarily mean you run away from everything. Mm-hmm. But we take away the projects, take away regularly scheduled meetings, and your only job during those two weeks is to still check it with email, mm-hmm. but then just plan for your next six weeks. And a lot of it came from just looking for a like just a better work environment. But I think it's I think it's kind of twofold. The reason I was looking at it, I think it's for past Joe, and I think it's for future Joe. Because <laughs> past Joe had a dad who worked all the time, who had a cot at the office, uh-huh. built up his own business. Both of my parents have worked there, and he he really like crushes it there. He's always there, even now. He's almost seventy. And he's mm-hmm. still there seven days a week. He'll go into the office to go wow. do something, run jobs. And I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I think I saw that and I was like, ah. And then future me is someday I would like to have kids. And I want to be able to spend time with those kids. And I don't think it's fair that I should be the owner of my business just to have the flexibility to take the time off. Got it. That I, I don't like managers and bosses who operate that way. Mm-hmm. They're just like, I'm the manager. You're my minion. Yeah. Like, no, we're, we do this together. We're, we're a team. Got if it. I'm taking time off, I want you guys to have time off. Got it. That's cool. Um, so when you started this process, you've been, um, how long has um, Martin Creative been on Six Week Cycles? Uh, three years. So three years. And when you started it, you, you just like quickly aside, you were like, it was hell when we started. <laughs> so why was it hell? Like, what was going on? Spill the tea. What oh, happened? Um... Awful, like when you try and throw like a radical new way of doing things, uh-huh. everyone immediately is just like, no, that's stupid. Like, that's that's not good. Can we just do our work? Can we stop trying to do something new? Like, we have stuff we need to do. Stop making us try to do this. Just let us get done the work. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, no, guys, we're going to, we'll get this. Like, we got to get it later. And one of the biggest things I think we can all relate to is that humans are awful at estimating time. Yes. We, we are so bad at it. And so even when we would try to plan and get things going, then things took longer. We didn't look into it. And so I think a lot of it was actually learning how to plan. Yeah. But then uh, I think the best one was about our third cycle in. That was finally like, come on, guys. Third time's a charm. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna get it this time. And the second day into the cycle, a big project came in that wiped out all of the planning we had done over those two weeks. Yeah. That the whole cycle was just thrown off now and... So everyone is on the same cycle. The entire company is like full force for six weeks, and then you're all taking two weeks. For my team, yeah. We're able to do that. Okay. And um, you are in client services. And I know, as somebody who is in client services, that exact thing that you just described happens, right? Like, client, you know, they said it was going to take this long, and instead they're going to extend it a week, or they're going to, you know, or they're going to, you're going to win the work. So how do you guys manage around the unevenness, particularly within client services, but I think across all kinds of businesses, because everybody's got a customer of some kind, right? So how do you guys plan for that? Uh, Plan for less. Okay. So instead of planning for, you know, trying to say, hey, we're going to take up a full eight hours in a day, just plan for four, and Mm -hmm. let's plan for four hours for things to just come up. And then the next cycle, let's see if we can get that to five and three. Let's see if we can get it to six and two. Got and continue it. to kind of whittle it down to find out where are these problems coming from. What, uh-huh. what did cause that cycle to get derailed? And now how do we make sure we prevent that from happening next time? So do you guys like debrief 
Yes. Six weeks? You do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so at the end of the cycle, uh, there's this thing about habits and how, like, mm -hmm. we use good habits in terms of, like, the trigger, the habit, and then the reward for doing it. And so kind of took a little bit of that idea into this. And so at the end of every cycle, we have a little celebration. So we'll go out as a team. We'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll go back through and look at what went well, what didn't go well that cycle, yeah. and talk about how to improve for the next time. And it gives us these little, like, closing points. Yeah. Like, when we rolled this out, because uh, we got acquired by a company in Canada, and they have people in South Africa, Australia, Vancouver, Toronto, Arkansas. And they adopted the method and started rolling it out. Oh, wow. And one of their developers kind of immediately got the chance to, like, finally, after three years, take a break for once. We were like, <laughs> you get take two weeks. Like, take it for yourself. And he's like, oh, I am. I am. I'm absolutely taking it for myself. Uh -huh. And one of the things he mentioned was he liked that things had a starting point and a stopping point. Got it. And he was able to reflect and look back. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do feel like sometimes we're running so fast. You know, we try to, like, debrief projects at Root, but projects have these long tails or, like, the next thing comes up, and it just, it, you just deprioritize it. But you're saying it's a really important thing that you guys do is to just stop and yeah, I think, think so about it. So much of it stems back from uh, marketing, because I'm big on marketing. Uh-huh. And one of the big things there is you need to know what effort you're applying where you're applying that effort and then you need to measure the results yeah like if you don't measure the results you have an ineffective marketing team and i think that that was part of it was how am i even measuring our performance like mm -hmm. when do we get the chance to look at this yeah you talk a lot about time but you're like you're really big on time so we did <laughs> we were just talking about it and i did i read an article once about how um if you set a meeting for an hour, it will take you an hour to make a decision. But if you set the meeting for 30 minutes, it will only take you 30 minutes. Like yeah. people have this ability to just sort of like fill the void, right? And I think it's interesting the way that you've talked about we're going to plan for this to be four hours because we're, we want to condense and we have the capability to do that. We just tend to want more time. Yep. Goes back to the idea of Parkinson's yeah. law. <laughs> a task will take the amount of time you allow it to take. There you go. And we've all gone through this in yeah. high school. You were given three months to complete a project that you finish it in six hours the night before. <laughs> like this is, we can do this. Right. <laughs> and you also talk about how we, um, right now we kind of measure people's performance in time, right? Yeah. So how many hours you put in and hours are a bit of a badge of honor in a lot of different businesses and, and cultures and industries, right? Like I think about doctors and it's like, oh, if you're, you know, if you haven't been awake for 48 hours, are you really a doctor? And it's like, that's actually very dangerous and I don't want that. <laughs> um, but I think in, in work too, like we think about, oh, who has all the billable hours, you know, and all these things. And, and you kind of say, it's not about the time, it's about the results. Yeah. So how are you guys able to flip that? Uh, from the planning and knowing what needs to get done. Mm -hmm. That for me, it came down, uh, at one point my developer had come to me, it was like three o'clock on a Friday. And he's like, hey, you know, finish up my stuff. What else do you want me to do? And I did that thing where you shuffle around. And you're like, ah, oh, let, let, me, let me find something for you to fill up these last two hours. And he recently had a daughter. And his mm -hmm. daughter was about three or four months old. And I realized there was nothing I was going to give him that was more important than him being home with his daughter. That yeah. what little crap task was I going to find <laughs> to say, oh, here, this has been sitting on the back burner for this long. Go take care of this. Yeah. Like, no, if I didn't plan for it, if I didn't know that it needed to be done to help move the organization forward, then I'm not doing my job as a leader. Right. It's sort of the end of busy work, which mm -hmm. I think is a wonderful concept. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please. But it does. I have to imagine just in my experience with companies that if you move to something like this, it will reveal the many gaps and holes you have in how you measure people's performance. Because 
I know it's very difficult for us, even when clients have new strategies they want to implement or new, huge, you know, they're making huge investments in new technologies and things. It's like, what do you want to get out of this? And how are you going to measure that? Yeah. And they're like, well, we want to be better. And th there's just no other, you know, we want to be more efficient or they use these really soft terms. But at the end of the day, they find it so um, difficult to measure. And part of, I think, why they find it difficult to measure is that um, they're so uncomfortable with imperfect metrics too because they're like, well, there's so many things that influence that metric that we couldn't possibly, you know, yeah. do the cause and effect in that. And <laughs> I have to imagine there's a lot of that in the work that you guys do. It's creative. It's a little, a little bit subjective. You've got some objective measures in terms of like hits and, you know, things like that. Yeah. But how do you guys deal with that sort of imperfect gray zone with measurement results? Uh, I think it starts by having that control metric mm. and understanding to begin with and mm -hmm. kind of helping step the client like before we even step in yeah. to say, what are we measuring this by? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they don't know. Yeah. And we need to come in and say, all right, well, these are things you probably should be looking at that <laughs> if we're going to help you build this up. Yeah. Because it, it is that idea of just those imperfections and mm -hmm. they think that there's too many things that they can't change. Right. And I, I come from this real world of opposites that I, mm -hmm. I love opposites. I look at like... If there's an A, there's a Z. If there's a one, there's a zero kind of, I don't know if those are opposites, but anyway, doing it that way. And for a lot of companies say, oh, we can't do that. Like, mm -hmm. oh, there's no way. It's like, all right, if there's no way, is there a way? Right. Is there, is there some way to do this? Yeah. And I think that even with the idea of kind of implementing six week cycles, I think it's something that could start with an employee going to their boss and mm -hmm. saying, what do I need? What do I need to get done over the next eight weeks? And then if that boss doesn't know, well, he needs to go to his boss. And if that boss doesn't know, they need to go to the owner. If yeah. the owner doesn't know, then go to the client and tell the client, hey, we're planning out our next eight weeks. Mm -hmm. We need to know what you want to get done to try and stop the client from doing it. There's, there's a way to chase down where those things come from. Yeah. You, um, you sort of caveat your book by saying six-week cycles might not be for everyone. It's really about a bigger conversation or starting the conversation about employee happiness. So have you thought about who it might not be for, or is it, this is really just your way of saying, hey, if this is too hard for you, like there are other things you can do to make people happy. <laughs> it's it's going to come down to like each industry that I just, I don't know enough. Yeah. I guess that's what it is. That, sure. And then there's that part of me that if, I, if a company did come to me and say, Joe, there's no way we can implement this, mm -hmm. then I'm going to go back and be like, mm, can you? <laughs> is, is there a way if there's a version of you that can't is there a version of you that can yeah and what does that look like but mm -hmm. to start talking about like I the medical industry like you kind of talked right. about I mean I'd like it I don't want my doctor going for 48 <laughs> hours straight and being like hey Joe let's look at that appendix I'm yeah. spleen like, uh, let's, let's get you a little rest in here right and so I think it's more about that idea of just the rest the period like mm -hmm. give people that chance to breathe and that I know for me like this definitely stemmed from my kind of experience with it that when my home was in order my work life was in order. Yeah. That when my home was kind of a mess and I didn't get a chance to even like really straighten things up the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And for people with kids, like you never get a break. No. Nope. Like I, I looked, I looked at what that, <laughs> what the employee journey looks like when you have children and you wake up in the morning, take care of your kids, get them off to school or a babysitter, go to work all day, come yeah. home, take care of that kid, feed them, get them to sleep. Hopefully they sleep through the night. Do that five days a week on the weekend. Get your kid. Go do anything you need to do. Take care of the house. Run errands. Take care of family. And then I expect you to come in Monday morning refreshed and ready to go? What are we doing? <laughs> <sighs> it's true. I do often talk about um, 
when I leave the office, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to my other job now. Yeah. Hi, guys. Yeah. And, that's, and I feel like that's the most important job. <laughs> like, if we have one job to help move society forward into a better place, it's taking care of kids. Yeah. And that's the one job that we just seem to crap on the most. To be like, <laughs> oh, that can wait. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. I feel like... Um, it's really interesting. I was so I was I was at a car dealership the other day, um, which I know sounds very strange. I wasn't buying a car. I was that sounds even more strange. I was working with them on their employee engagement survey results, and um, one I give them major props for doing an employee engagement survey. That's great. I feel like that's an evolution in itself. Um, but when we were looking at the results, there was a lot of like red on, the, on those results, but then there were some yellow and there was some green. And um, one of the guys was like, well, so they, there's, a, there's a metric on there that's like, I can disagree with my manager without being penalized. And their score was 70%. Or put another way, 30% of people don't believe that they can disagree with their manager without it coming back on them in some way. And the guy at the dealership was like, well, I think that's great. Because in my day, that would be zero because there's no way you would ever disagree with the boss. So I'm very pleased with that score. That's great to see. And it was really interesting him coming from, you know, he's in his late 60s. Um, he comes from the era of personnel and, you know, you do what you're told and you shut your mouth and all that stuff. And I come from an era in an industry that's like, let's engage people. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and so we just have these very different philosophies on it. and. I'm curious what you think about sort of the evolution as you think about your dad and his cot and, you know, all that stuff, the evolution of how we think about employees, employee happiness, employee experience. Um, you know, what's, what, are, what are your thoughts as you reflect on, you know, your personal career, but then just, you know, across history? Yeah. Uh, these things have become dinnertime conversations, my family and I. Yeah. Because my parents still run the business uh -huh. and they're very much the mindset of I'm paying you you show up and do your work like they still have a time clock at the office mm -hmm. and i'm like oh guys what are you doing like <laughs> did they did they run the job did they print what they needed to print if so they did their job why are we yeah measuring time but they've done it that way for so long that like even being an insider having this and being their son to be like mm -hmm. do you want to change this They're like no absolutely not and i think that we've it's just this shift like i get they poke fun at me because like oh why do they want to do the work joe and yeah i was like no, really, that's that's actually a really good question, Father. <laughs> that's what we're trying to answer here is, yeah, why do they? What is their motivation? Uh -huh. And it goes back to, I think, that same idea from marketing. You're just looking at kind of how it was and the way we used to market to people was pushing stuff at them. Mm -hmm. And now it's more interactive. Like right. now it's more about the data and analytics and measuring how did someone engage with this advertisement mm -hmm. that these traditional methods of just pushing stuff on TV or doing billboards, right. we can't measure. Yeah. And now we have that opportunity to listen to employees right. and actually make these adjustments. We're sort of a more conversational culture in general, mm -hmm. right? That's when you think about employees as consumers of your strategy or consumers of your work environment. Yeah same type of thing where it, it's becoming this place where we need to have a conversation about it. People need to verbally process, process these changes. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the oldest millennial. So I've been, I've been pushing for this I'm right stuff for the longest. <laughs> Come on guys, something is wrong here. Let's figure it out. So um, what are some of the, when you have these conversations with folks um, about six week cycles and it's a very kind of radical cost, like concept for them, right? So. When I first heard it, I was like, I have questions. <laughs> this doesn't seem like this would work. 
Um, what are what are the pushbacks that you get? Like, what are the most common things? So for everybody listening, if things are running through their minds yeah. right now, what are the things that are probably running through their minds, and how do you? Uh, there's no way we can operate like that. Is always the first one. Mm-hmm. And the uh, CEO of the company that acquired my team, when he first started talking to us about it, at one point in a phone call, he's like, "Joe, I wish we could work that way." And I was like, "But." can <laughs> you can we can do it yeah and I think it's just that idea that it needs to be worked on and it can mm-hmm. be that I think it starts with just reading the book like read the book and tell me why you can't like give me those specific reasons of what's holding it up because then mm-hmm. I'm probably going to come back and say well if you can't well, maybe you can right that it just finding out what it what is preventing you from doing that uh-huh. and how do you get that more controlled which I think kind of stemmed from uh, the Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss four-hour work week yeah. And one of his big things there was get it down to the things you need to work on and get those other processes kind of in line. And I think that's a big part of it, doing that, not just for an individual, but then for the organization. Mm-hmm. That does it require you to be more proactive on the part of reaching out to your clients to say, look, we, we're not going to have time over the next eight weeks. Mm-hmm. If you want something done, you need to tell us now. And respecting your own time, and I think that's where it starts. Yeah. What, you, what would you say are like the baby steps? for people like what is step one in creating a work-life balance for employees so that they get those times to just sort of reflect and decompress uh try to plan for how much time you're going to spend on something Mm -hmm. instead of logging how much time you spent on something Hmm, okay i think that simple step alone to say Mm -hmm. hey i'm going to spend an hour and a half on this instead of coming back and being like oh i used my app to track how much time it took and this is how long it took got it like no let's let's understand how much time let's go back to parkinson's law let's say this is how much time we're going to allow this task to get finished got it yeah because if you always kind of reflect back you're looking at what you did in that old philosophy of like this this ought to take you know all day yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i'm with you on that i think it's interesting because i find that um the longer i am in my job and I have more and more things to do, I am far more efficient at stuff. And I think it's just, you know, it's necessity, right? Like, yeah. I have an hour. That's how long <laughs> I'm going to take on this. And somehow, it magically gets done in that hour. And there's yeah. that, there's this concept of visualization as well, mm-hmm. that when you get the chance to look forward, you're step throwing it in your mind already. Yeah. So you're almost doing a little risk analysis of what's going to come up, what's going to prevent me from doing this. You're removing less questions that you're going to have as you go through the process. And then hopefully we're cutting down on distractions because now you're not reaching out to someone in the middle of the day saying, hey, I need help with this. Yeah. And now you pull them away from their job and then they have to go ask someone else. So this whole mm-hmm. thing just happens in the middle of the day that yeah. kills productivity and we just don't get as much done. Are you a natural planner? Like, have you no. always been a person? Oh, no. Okay, so how did you oh, get on the planner <laughs> kick when most people who aren't, like... <laughs> habitual plan like uh type a planner type people like they it just it's paralyzing to them so how did you get over that hump uh i went to a uh like seminar and one of the things the person asked was how much time per week do you spend on email Mm. and i was like that's impossible I'm like, no, no one can answer that question. I'm like, that's, that's foolish. Like, email's always with me. It's on my phone. It's on my iPad. It's on my desktop. Like, it's always going to be somewhere. That mm-hmm. There's no way I can answer that. And then I was like, well, there's a version of me that can't answer that. There's a version mm-hmm. of me that can. And I wanted to see what that started getting like. And I think combine that with the idea of just getting older. Again, yeah. being that older millennial, 
and that I know, like, we know that when people are on their deathbed, they don't look back and say, man, I wish I had more money. Like, <laughs> man, I wish I would have finished that project. It's no, it's, yeah. it's time. It's time with family. It's those important things. And, and I think it started coming with that respect for time. Uh-huh. And that's where it was of how am I spending my time that I only get it. I only get a limited amount. Was that a difficult transition for you to make to go into that planning or that aha? Like really? It was. Yeah. Mind? Yeah. It was, it, it was awful. No, it, it was, was awful. It, yeah. It took, it took time and. Like narrowing it down, trying to stick with it. I kept uh-huh. trying to find better ways to even like create my schedule during the day. I went back to a school schedule for a little bit. So I used to have like uh, hours posted on my door of like, this is my period one, my period two. This is my 15 minute break. You catch me here if you want to talk to me. Like, and kept trying all these different ways to just respect my uh-huh. time more to get it done. So I'm really curious, like what ended up working for you? Uh, or is it still a work in progress for you? It's, I think it was just having it planned okay. and knowing that at the beginning of the week, the team and I can look through and see what's coming up and have this understanding and look ahead to say, great, let's plan this meeting for Thursday now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So what advice would you give to somebody who perhaps right at this moment is realizing, you know, my employees seem a little burnt out or they seem a little unhappy, or I'm losing some good people. Like they're just they're just realizing right now, like oh my my employee experience isn't what I want it to be. Yeah. Uh, which I think is something that kind of does creep up on people, right? If they if they don't pay attention to that on a regular basis, it's yeah. like all of a sudden one day you're like oh shit, everybody around me is miserable, right? <laughs> so what's your advice for that person who's having that oh shit moment? What do they do first? It's pretty simple. Uh, <laughs> stems back to marketing again at the idea of how would we treat a customer and talk to them. It starts with talking to them. It starts with having that conversation, opening up, finding out what are their motivations. The same way that we look at a customer to say, what are your buying motivations? Why do you want to do this? What are your fears? What are your objections? Talk to them about the job itself and just have that more open line. Don't make it a once a year review. Like, oh, the company is just like, don't worry, once a year we'll talk about it. It's like 364 days went by. You don't think things happened in 364 days? That we need to keep those conversations ongoing, know mm-hmm. what's happening. Uh, one of the things I love, if someone could start this one thing, I think I would love it. And on Fridays, on cycle, we have our checkout meetings. And we spend two minutes in silence at the beginning of the meeting. So nothing to prepare, just show up. Uh, two minutes in silence and write down everything that went well that week and then we share and then after that we go two minutes in silence again write down everything that didn't go well and then we share that and that little thing alone just gave me so much more insight as to what Mm. was happening with my team what is it that's affecting them because it's work stuff and then it's also personal stuff sometimes and so when so I we can put out, anything. It's like yes. sky's the limit, whatever is going on that week that was positive or negative. That's yep. what they put on. And I think for me, it was um, starting to share my own personal stuff first. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Kind of leading by example, saying, look, guys, this is, I didn't get stuff done this week. Yeah. Like, this is what happened to me. And then you come to find out that my developer had problems with taking his daughter to the doctor because she has allergy issues and she was up all night crying. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, no, then I can understand why this didn't get done. What can we do? Like, how do we yeah. help? Do you need just, do we need to shift your hours around? Like, do you want to work nights for a little bit and take care of your daughter during the day? Just what is it to get the work done? Got it. Cool. Well, thank you, Joe. It was a thank pleasure you. talking to you. And uh, I think a lot of people will take some of this and hopefully <laughs> implement it and then buy the book. When's the book coming out? Uh, end of June. It'll be up on Amazon. So Awesome. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you.
So Gary, I know that for most of your life prior to Root, you were self-employed. Yes. Um, but at some point, you had a job with somebody else. Yes. Yeah? Yes. I'm curious to know, over your working history, how you would describe your best employee experiences and what were the sort of benefits or attributes that made it that? Oh, I was so hoping you were going to ask me for my worst employee experience. <laughs> I can, can do I, that can too. I do, can I do worst employee experience <laughs> you first? You could do that Let first. me do that. You, mm -hmm. Because you must, of course, have been reading my book, The Unbossy Boss, because in the first chapter, it talks specifically about this bad employee experience. And I have this core belief about employee experiences in that. I thought the first chapter was about how bad of an employee experience you were creating for other people. No, 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 no. It was the employee that experience. The that <laughs> That's just your notes in the margins of your copy. The real story goes like this. Um, I had, yes, been self-employed from when I was very young. And um, now in my early 30s, and I find myself in my first job, like mm -hmm. corporate job with my first manager. And he's an awfully, was and is an awfully nice guy, very nice guy, and very capable as an individual contributor who happens to be promoted to a manager who's my vice president at that time. And I relocated from Florida to Chicago for this job. And I walked into his office after the 4th of July weekend that I spent moving my two cars, two kids, wife, two cats from one part of the country to the other two and said, I was so excited. I'm ridiculously excited. I dressed like first day of school getting dressed. And I walked into his office beaming that I was in this new city and this new job and ready to go. And he looked up to me and he said, and I quote, what are you doing here? And I said, I moved over the weekend and I'm here. And he goes, I completely forgot about that. And I'm not set up for you. Oh, because my wife just quit her job and I just sold my house and, you know, moved here. So I, and he said, so see my admin and see if she can find you a place to sit. And it was the absolute foreshadowing of what was to come with this manager. Highly successful, engaged in what he was doing, but was not really looking out for the team and the experience he was creating. And I found my way to become a high performer very quickly because I had come from the food service business where I worked seven days a week, 20 hours a day for the decade before. So coming into corporate America, if you just cut that in half, you were the hardest working person in that office. So I just applied the same principles and I got to productivity very quickly. However, I didn't want to contribute my productivity there for very long because the experience was that of feeling disenfranchised, abandoned, uncared for, disconnected from the strategy, um, you know, sort of like a lone wolf. Well, I could do that as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And so my, um, my gifts, Bridget, let's just call them my gifts. My gifts didn't last there long. I looked to leave pretty quickly. And I moved on to a, another company where the employee experience was considerably worse. <laughs> and you I know how to pick them, huh? I know how to pick them. I mean, it was even my boss said to me, you know, you're leaving for the worst company in the industry, right? But they were paying me more and there was a better title and there was mm. this promise of something better and great. And I took it. And I recognized something really interesting about the employee experiences that I was having. I came from hospitality, I moved into sort of, you know, this world of distribution. And I said, 
oh, wow, it's not that I'm having a bad employee experience. This industry is providing an employee experience that I don't want to have any part of. I, coming from where I came from uh, before, that interaction with people is important and EQ is critically important. Mm -hmm. And I was in a left brain world. So in hindsight, while I have some managers that I didn't love or, or CEOs that I reported to that I didn't love, I recognized that I was choosing the wrong industry to be in. Yeah. Because those employee experiences with high EQ, collaboration, interaction didn't exist in that world. Mm -hmm. And then I came to Root and Sunshine Rainbows and Unicorns everywhere. Absolutely. Yes. So <laughs> my best employee experience has obviously been going on the 19 years at Root where I can be an entrepreneur, a high creative, a heavy communicator. Um, and those sort of things. That's the best employee experience. Yeah. It's also my third job in 50, almost six years. Right. So don't have a lot of those experiences to go by. But I was clear that there are some industries that provide employee experiences that are better suited for some than others. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, when I think about my experience as a root employee, I don't think about you know, the free snacks and no. <laughs> that stuff. Although I did have that salami and cheese. Well, yeah, thing. I mean, that's just uh, For a, breakfast, that packet, oh my goodness. It's a lifesaver. That's a lifesaver. Just but lots of lots of lunches assembled from the that. snacks that were provided here. Mm -hmm. um, but What do you think of? I do, I think of um, the, the crazy amount of autonomy that I've had. Yes. And the ability to just say, I think this is a thing. And everyone goes... Okay, okay, run with Make it. Make it a thing. <laughs> and for me, and for some people, I you know, that's, that's not a great fit. They want more structure. For me, that was absolutely, that is absolutely the thing that keeps me here because partly because I love that and partly because I'm like, well, crap, they, they gave me the, the leash. I can't leave. I got to stay here. I got to fulfill it. You're having right? work babies. Yeah. You're yeah. giving birth to new ideas. Now you're responsible for them. I 100% agree that in the culture and that it's also what has uh, promoted my longevity and it promotes this sense of well if this is my baby yeah and you gave me permission to birth it i can't leave because it still needs to be nurtured mm -hmm. yes yeah and then uh long long time ago in a past life i was a development director for an outward bound school in the boston harbor island with children in it there were children's there, yes. Did there you was... have interaction with them? Nope. Okay. Well, we, a little bit, actually. <laughs> the, the story can continue then. So um, it was for middle school-aged kids, and one of the biggest programs they had was with the um, Boston Public Schools, and they would bring kids out for kind of week-long, what they call expeditions in mm -hmm. Outward Bound to sort of experience nature for the first time. Um, being able to do that basically because all they had to do was take like a 20-minute boat ride from, you know, basically South Boston and, and right. have this really great, powerful experience. Um, and I was a fundraiser, so I, I was not on the, um, was not on the, outward, I'm not an outdoorsy person, mm. not particularly. Mm. Um, but I learned to love it. And I think one of the cool perks that I had when I think about perks connected to purpose was that um, we were often told, go outside, you know, like during lunch, go, um, go take a walk, go swim off you know, the, the beach here, go uh, sort do of the like climbing the Airbnb, roads, go you know? on vacation, go do stuff yeah. here, connect yourself to this Island and, yeah. and everything that was here. And then ended up being able to take like donors out on kayak trips sure. for the weekends and stuff. It was really fun. 
had a great time. You, I just want to make sure I understand. You took donors on kayak trips. Yes, and then they okay. gave me money afterwards. It was like fantastic. tip money. No, no, like they oh, actually like donated. Oh, yes. I thought they're like, hey, good, good steering. Here's five bucks. <laughs> Wasn't sure. Steering. Okay. Do you know how kayaks work? No. <laughs> Paddling. Paddling. Right. It's good. They don't have motors, right? But it was it was a really interesting experience to have in your young twenties, and a great employee experience to just feel very connected to that community. So, and I you, worked really hard as a result of it. You've been fortunate enough to have several really good employee experiences. No, just two. Just two really two. good employee so, experiences. Would that be The rest root, were garbage. <laughs> the root and this... Outward bound. Outward bound. Mm-hmm. If you had to choose between the two of them and say, this one was my favorite of the two, which would it be and why? Oh, root. I'm still here. Well, I just feel like kayaking at this point in your life is probably not your strong suit. So there may be <laughs> other reasons why you left. That but hurts. No. No, I'm just trying to be truthful. Um, so but root because you're still here. What ultimately No, I made, think that's the proof point. That is the proof point. What was the reason why you left the Outward Bound? I left to go to business school. Um, I felt like, at the time, I felt like, um, nonprofit was an industry that needed more savvy, more business acumen. And so you were and in I, search And I that. went to get a business degree with every intention of going back to nonprofit. And then, um, because at the time, I really felt like, well, the only way I can make a difference in the world is by, uh, by doing something in that sphere. Yeah. And went to root really expecting to be here a couple of years get some you know business experience under my belt and then head back to that and uh um that was not the case you know not to make this too that's interesting that you said that ex- expecting you to be here a couple of years so not to make this too much of a root commercial on culture <laughs> my plan was two to three years max there you go now 30s 40s 50s i expect 60s um yeah so that what keeps you and I here are the same things mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hearing uh, to hear more from others so I'd be curious <laughs> for those people who are celebrating 25 years like Michelle Brand did the other day yeah what's kept her here so when we finish the podcast I'm gonna call her you're gonna go do a little survey I'm gonna do a survey nice sent a little congratulations note to her get some yeah. data <laughs> <laughs> gonna call Michelle Brand gonna get some data yeah Thank you for listening. This has been Nothing Constant. I'm Gary Magenta. This is my friend, Bridget Stalkham. Peace. Today's episode of Nothing Constant was recorded by Nick Floyd. Produced by Jessica Greer. Mixed and co-produced by me, Dave Ailing. Nothing Constant is proudly produced by the Root Inc. Radio Network.